The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Every time a missile misses its target, a train derails, or a faulty airbag fails to save a life, we wonder whether these failures, which can sometimes reach catastrophic proportions, are caused by a counterfeit part that may have infiltrated the supply chain. Welcome to People to People, working together for your safety with host Stan Salat. Stan has the answers to your questions on protecting yourself and the safety of your loved ones, including your pets. Don't miss out. Now, here is Stan Salat. Hello and welcome to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today is Together We Can, Protecting the Planet. Air next to water and soil is a third critical resource for humans, plants, animals, and all other organisms within a natural area. Air must be monitored in order to control and lower pollution levels, control smoke, uh, control smoke caused by wild land fires, and to monitor air quality. The USDA Forest Service monitors the effects of air pollution that may impair visibility, harm human health, injure trees and other plants, acidify or cause unnatural uh, filtration of streams and lakes, leach nutrients from soils, and degrade cultural resources like archa- uh, archaeological. Uh, boy, I'm getting that one wrong. <laughs> archaeological sites and historical buildings, forest activities that can affect air quality, such as uh, uh, the prescribed burning ski areas and mining are also monitored to ensure compliance with air regulations for human health. Today's show is brought to you by our sponsors, Business and Quality Process Management, LLC, and Secure Components. You've heard me speak of them many times. Business and Quality Process Management, LLC, provides business process and quality management consulting, training, and software tools. You can reach them for your help at www.bqpm.com. And Secure Components, an independent distributor specializing in obsolete and hard-to-find components. Secure Components is the first company in the world to achieve international certification for their counterfeit detection and mitigation controls. If you're trying to find hard-to-find or obsolete components, by all means, Secure Components is your source. You can contact them at www.securecomponents.com. I am very pleased today to have with me my guest, Linda Geiser. Uh, Linda is somebody I think you'll find very interesting. I met Linda just recently and uh, was 
was uh, honored to listen to what she was saying to a group of folks. Linda earned degrees in social science, plant nutrition, master's in 1989, and plant physiology, uh, Ph.D. in 1991. Um, Linda has an extensive background in this area, and what we're going to be talking today about is, in fact, the health of our planet and how we can help that, uh, that health improve over time. Uh, Linda's got an absolutely fantastic background in this area, uh, having written or co-written books uh, she has a number of those, and over the course of today's show, I'm going to point some of them out. But I want to get Linda online with us right now and uh, to say hello to Linda, please. Linda, are you there? I'm there. Hello, Stan. Yeah, welcome to People to People, working together for your safety, Linda. I, you know, I can't say enough. I, I was privileged to uh, to hear you speak the other day, and I, as you know, I, I accosted you immediately to talk you into being on the show today. Uh, with that having been said, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit, if you don't mind, uh, and understand, uh, I understand that you started out your career path, uh, and as, as I've since learned, it wasn't actually when you started, but along your career path, you thought about uh, going into nursing, and instead of nursing the health of humans, uh, you changed that direction and went into actually nursing the health of our planet. Can you, if you would, share with the audience and myself a little bit about that? Well, sure. So, I did pursue in the evenings for a few years um, the credentials to apply for nursing school and was accepted, but I ended up um, not accepting that offer. And in actuality, for the past 25 years, I've been an ecologist for the Forest Service in the Pacific Northwest. And I've worked mainly in Oregon, Washington, and Alaska, but nearly all the other regions of the country from time to time. And my job as an ecologist has been monitoring air quality, that is, trying to understand what pollutants are occurring in national forests and wilderness areas, what concentrations there are, like how much of them there is, how they're moving and changing over time, and what their effects are. And this has been a great job for me because I love nature and I love the science aspects of it and it helps our agency to, with its mission to and its mandates to protect air quality for the people of the United States. Um, but after I'd been doing that for a while, I thought, well, maybe I should do something a little different with my career. And that's when I started thinking about doing nursing on the side. But what happened to me was right at the point where I was about to make that transition, I was asked to give a talk at one of our uh, national meetings within our agency about the interactions between climate change and air pollution. And I agreed to do the talk because I had been interested in learning more about climate change, and I spent quite a few weeks preparing. And in that time, 
I read several books and I read a lot of uh, scientific articles, atmospheric science and all kinds of articles uh, about climate change. And by the time I was ready for the meeting, I was pretty much in shock. Um, I hadn't really understood the situation that we're in. I think like a lot of educated people, I understood that climate change was real. I had read right. enough, you know, just as a scientist about it. And, you know, I thought of it as a problem more of the future that we had plenty of time to solve. And the other thing about it that I hadn't understood was I'd been used to dealing with the pollutants that were identified in the Clean Air Act for us federal land managers to, to monitor, meaning like nitrogen and sulfur oxides and lead, ozone, things like that, pollutants that if we stop adding them to the air, they will wash out and our problem will go away. And so I had the idea that, that this could be a short-lived problem if we would stop emitting greenhouse gases. So what I found out was that, um, that what, neither of those is true. In fact, um, the, um, the greenhouse gases that are already in the air are causing a forcing of the climate, meaning they're warming the climate. There's an energy there or um, potentially already to warm the climate uh, far past what it has warmed to already. The oceans are warming, the atmosphere, ice is melting, we're getting more extreme weather. But even if we stop today, the temperature is going to keep climbing for a while. And as an ecologist, I know that temperature and climate are extremely important to our ecosystems. A lot of organisms have very... Um, uh, small climate envelopes, meaning one degree up or down can influence the likelihood of finding them tenfold. So even a small amount of temperature change can be, uh, have a very big effect on, on natural ecosystems. So between the understanding that, that, um, climate effects are very big, understanding that they're on track to get a lot bigger and that we need to reduce emissions um, very rapidly. Uh, those things are what really impressed me. In addition, I was impressed by the irreversibility of some of the changes that could be in store for us. Uh, so once certain things happen, we can't go back. And we could see a planet that has no, with a climate that has no precedent for all of the time that human civilization has arisen. So the upshot is that I realized that we have just a short time period, maybe 10 years, to significantly reduce emissions before we lock in the generation current and generations to come for hundreds, if not thousands of years to a much warmer climate. 
and a climate that not only affects you know the other living things on our planet and would reduce biodiversity on the planet, but would also make living conditions very difficult for the population that we have now, much less the population that we're anticipated to have. So the productivity of soils because of drought and high temperature, lack of water, could all really limit our ability to grow food and the availability of water for farming. And this is a real problem for us. So all of those things made me realize that I could do more good as an ecologist and I should not go into <laughs> nursing, <laughs> but try wow. to spend my time working to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, I, I actually believe you're still in nursing. You're just doing it on a different scale, um, given the reality of what you're nursing, if you will. As you're talking, I'm, I'm remembering a few things, or a few things are actually coming to mind, and that is when you talk about the minor changes that have both significant impact and long-lasting impacts, in the technical world that I'm in, which, as you may or may not uh, be aware of, it's it's more in industry, and it's the lead and the mercury and the cadmium and, and the various heavy metals that we know do have an effect on the planet and, and uh, air quality and such. But I am also... Uh, realizing that the same way a very minor change to any of those chemicals when you're using them, any of that chemistry, minor, very minor changes can make significant uh, impacts. And I honestly have never thought about that in the context that you're raising it with the, the planet itself. Um, and how little, you, you had spoken a bit about, uh, in fact, a, a fair bit of your work is based on work that you've done with lichen. That's uh, right. The management or measurement or uh, kind of, if you will, taking, taking the pulse and the health conditions of lichen, which I must admit I have often thought of as something that we should find a way to get rid of, but I, I now know better. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, part part of our job is to understand how much pollution is in the air, but then the other part of it is to understand, is it enough to cause a harmful effect? And so um, lichens turn out to be um, a great indicator, especially in the Northwest, where we have so many of them, they're so ubiquitous, because they happen to be very sensitive to air pollution as well as climate. They're good accumulators of pollutants, um, not only the, the major ones, but also air toxics like metals. And you can even use them to monitor PAHs or pesticides. Anything that's volatile in the air uh, or semi-volatile in the air can accumulate in lichens. So they're good accumulators but they're also sensitive, and they're among the most sensitive elements uh, in the ecosystem. And so they, they also act as bellwethers. We know if air quality is sufficient for lichens, it's, it's likely good enough for all the other sensitive elements um, that are present. 
But, you know, the other thing that a lot of people don't realize, because I do get that question sometimes, why should we care about lichens, is that our ecosystems have evolved in a way that uh, the organisms that are in them are interdependent, and they've co-evolved together, the plants, the microbes, and fungi, and animals over time under certain historical climate regimes and air quality regimes in terms of nutrients available, um, as well as disturbance regimes. And so if you try to label any one of them as more important as another, uh, you're really not um, getting how the system works. And I, I think you heard me give an example before about how um, in the Northwest here we have an iconic um, uh, threatened and endangered species, the northern spotted owl. And a lot yes. of people have heard of that. That's mm-hmm. right. And, but not a lot of people know what it eats. It eats primarily northern flying squirrels. And those in turn eat primarily lichens in the wintertime and truffles or underground fungi in the summertime, which they can smell and dig up. And the squirrels in turn are responsible for spreading the spores around in the, in the forest through their pellets. And the spores germinate and form connections with the trees. And these fungi link all the tree roots in the forest and mine the soil for nutrients and water which allows the trees to go to grow, which in turn are habitat for that owl and the northern flying squirrels that it eats and the lichens that the squirrel eats. So I think when we think about our environment and the organisms in it as interdependent on each other, it's a more realistic way of understanding how things work. And then, of course, the other component of that is that these different organisms, like the lichens, for example, well, they're draping the trees and providing plenty of food, but they're only there because the air quality is good, because they're very sensitive to air pollution, especially to acid rain and to nutrient nitrogen, fertilizing types of, of uh, pollutants. Um, they're also only there because the climate is cool. And then they're there because of the disturbance regimes that have evolved over time in the range of the flying squirrel in terms of fire frequency. So if you alter any of these components, you can adversely affect just one of the components and then affect all the others in turn because of their interdependence. And so I think that this kind of view, you know, it's an ecologist view, but you can make that sort of view in a much bigger context in terms of human society. And that's the way I think uh, that we humans are also interdependent, Um, not only on nature to provide us with the services we need, you know, the clean air and water and all the products that we get from it, but also uh, these days we're reliant on each other. Yes. um, The people that make the things we buy and... You know, we are we have global technologies now and communication right. and transportation and so forth. So we're all linked together at this point. Now, 
Very, very complex. We need to take a short break. Um, and when we come back, I'd like to get uh, your your view. And specifically, from your experience and or knowledge, what individual or industry activities contribute the most to our environmental pollution? Um, if, if, if you take a minute and think about that, uh, our audience, uh, we're, gonna, we're going to take a short break for radio identification, station identification. We'll be right back with the answer to that and more discussion with Linda. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Secure Components is proud to be the first independent distributor certified to the Department of Defense adopted AS6081 counterfeit avoidance standard. Our clients view us as partners in counterfeit avoidance because we share our source of supply. We have earned their trust to procure electronic and mechanical components specifically when their requirements are obsolete or unavailable from authorized sources. Visit securecomponents.com today to learn why the largest aerospace defense and technology companies in the world partner with Secure Components. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191, bqpm.com. Together, we are working for your safety. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is People to People, working together for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to Stan at stansalot.com. Again, that's Stan at stansalot.com. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat. Our show today, Together We Can, Protecting the Planet. While it's not or hasn't been in the past one of our primary topics, um, we have uh, realized from some recent things that 
some recent events that uh, what we're doing for the planet from a mechanical or a uh, manufacturing point of view is also mirrored by folks like Linda Geiser, who is doing similar things on the ecology side and actually looking at the effects of everything we do on a day-to-day basis on the health of the planet, particularly the air quality, but I'm sure it goes well beyond that. My guest, Linda uh, Geiser, is a author, uh, PhD author, master's degree, uh, you name it, and she has it. She has been extremely instrumental for many years now in ecology. Um, I can't say enough for for what I have learned that she's been doing. Uh, She has a number of books that she has either authored or co-authored. Most of the work has been being done up here in the northwestern part of the United States. We have posted this on our website so you can get more details and find out more and start following Linda's work and what she's doing. And on that note, I'd like to bring Linda back. When we left, we were talking about what industry activities, individual and industry activities, contribute most to our environment, uh, environmental pollution, if you will. And Linda was going to, uh, to share some thoughts on that. Linda? Great. Well, thanks, Dan. So we were talking earlier about how we can recognize that, that we're, independ- we're interdependent with other humans as well as nature. And, and we also know that different pollutants have different toxicities. Some are very acute and the pollutants are local, right in, in our environment, right you know, with us. And some happen... Uh, in the, some of the, some of the pollutants are in, a, in our broader environment, are transported longer distances, and may have effects that are more into the future. So, when we think about how you know how can we act as an individual to to minimize the harm that we cause to the environment and maximize the health of ourselves and all the people we care about and our environment, we have to think about um, what are the facts with regard to any pollutant and then, and then what we can do about it. So we need to have the information, but we also need to have the resolve to do something about it. Uh, for me, the most urgent pollutants right now, ones that, you know, um, are holding the fate of the planet uh, are the greenhouse gases. And these come primarily from fossil fuel combustion and from agriculture. So the formula is basically a very simple one. It's the number of people times the amount of resources we use per person. So we can't indefinitely increase either one, either our population or the amount of resources we use per person because we can't indefinitely decrease the other. Well, we, right. we probably wouldn't want to. So that comes, then we come back to, okay, so what can we do? So I think it's the number of children we have right off. It determines our population. 
what we choose to buy, how we get around for transportation, what we eat, how we meet our energy needs, all these things affect greenhouse gas emissions. So I think each person can show some leadership in this arena and because the situation is so complex and it's so it's so global a problem, we really do need leadership and action at every level. So I think there are all kinds of ways to take this action. If you think about um, what we eat, for example, um, the tendency right now is that more and more people around the planet are uh, enjoying eating more and more meat. But the um, cows and other ruminants on the planet are a major source of one of the most potent greenhouse gases, which is methane. And so uh, right now, methane that is coming mainly from the animals that we raise to eat is contributing about a third of the climate forcing on the planet. This is sort of good and bad. <laughs> it's, it's good to know in a way because methane is one of the shorter-lived gases. So if we could decrease the planetary herd, we could have a much faster um, effect than reducing CO2, which is a much longer-lived gas in the atmosphere. Uh, it's bad, of course, because a lot of people would like to eat more meat, not less right. meat. But uh, on the other hand, uh, I've tried being a vegetarian myself, and it's quite helpful. Of course, we all need to make our own decisions about what's important. Um, the other things uh, we can do, of course, okay. I, I was just going to say, I found it's uh, quite quite a bit more healthy for me personally to eat less meat and more uh, more vegetarian type food so one could just look at it as being healthier that's right uh, that's at least right. Cutting, cutting down would at least be a start right mhm and and some meats um, or some animals produce more methane than others so the ruminants because of their um, intestinal, you know, and multiple stomach right. structure, they're producing a lot more methane than, for example, chicken or fish. Right. So the type of meat is also, also plays a role. And then there are other um, considerations. For example, the food that's needed to grow the meat could be eaten directly. And also there are the fertilizers that are used to grow the food. Some of them are greenhouse gases as well. So... These things all come into play in terms of emissions. Uh, as you say, it, it is it is complex, uh, and, and there's it's a it's quite a um, uh, I'm not sure patchwork is the right word, but it it's a a lot of different things that affect different things, and learning and understanding those perhaps is one of the uh, starting points to how do you make better decisions on what you do or don't do? That's right. There's no, there's not going to be any universal solution. The solutions have to come at all levels. You know, like I said before, um, how are we producing our energy? How are we, you know, what kind of transportation are we using? Uh, when we use a bicycle, obviously we're 
producing a lot less greenhouse gases than when we drive a car or when we take a bus, we're using less than when we drive a car. Or if we had electric cars, you know, we could produce less greenhouse gases. So there's there are all kinds of solutions to transportation and there's all kinds of solutions to how we can generate energy. The key thing is that we need to focus on reducing fossil fuel um, in order to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and, and most of them right now are coming from combusting fossil fuels. And for me, as a person that monitors air quality, there's also a connection to a lot of the other pollutants that we care about. So the particulates in the air that cause... Um, that mar visibility, for example, and that cause acid rain and that cause um, eutrophication of the ecosystem, those are also released from the combustion of fossil fuels. So that's how we get sulfur dioxide in the air and nitrogen oxides in the air. So there's another benefit. If we can reduce our use of fossil fuels, we can also reduce other pollutants in the air. And that's that's important uh, an important point. And I guess one of the other questions that comes to my mind in this is, you know, how does how does one learn more? Obviously, you're in the thick of it. You're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you've dedicated a lot of time to understanding it and and uh, sharing knowledge with people. For mm-hmm. for the listening audience, if they really want to understand more about this, is there some places they can go? Yes. It's very easy to get really good information about what's happening around the planet um, with regard to climate change. I would start, I would recommend starting with the website of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. And the website's really easy. It's just www.ipcc.ch. And they have released three major reports in the last year. And the website is really wonderfully designed. You can watch three 8- to 10-minute videos that explain the results of the reports. There are summaries that are written for a non-scientific audience, and then you can also read the full scientific reports there as well, depending on what level of detail or what, you know, uh, technological savvy you have. You can get information from all three of those sources on the IPCC website. There's also the National Climate Assessment that our government produces, and most of the major scientific um, societies now also have reports, state of the science report. For example, the United States uh, National Academy of Sciences, the British Royal Royal British Society, the British Royal Society. So sorry, um, the AAAS, our American Advancement uh, American Society for the Advancement of Science. Um, all of those have publications that are written for general audience as well as technical audiences. Um, then there are also there have also been a number of really nice um, films, documentaries, and um, PBS, for example, as part of their Journey to Planet Earth series, interviewed Lester Brown on um, on a ser- on an episode that was caused uh, called. 
see, I think it was called Planet, um, let's see, Plan B, Mobilizing to Save Planet Earth. That was a really excellent um, show. So I think those are good places to start, and from, from there you can keep searching. You can get a lot right from the web. Outstanding. Well, as usual, time flies by when we have this show, and I'm I'm always uh, cognizant of the time, but I, I'm also uh, sorry that it that it goes by so quickly. In this case, we've got uh, just a few minutes left, and one one of the questions that I specifically have for you is. You're working in an area that that absolutely needs um, support from from society uh, overall. And with that in mind, and as you know, I'm working in the area of hazardous substance process management. I'm also working in counterfeit, but I'm I'm uh, calling on individuals as consumers to become involved in a movement to demand that retail stores that they shop at institute the hazardous substance-free product policy with their suppliers and actually start pushing their supply chain or demanding actually from their supply chain that the products are safer, less harmful to the environment, as well as to humans themselves. Um, my my uh, work in this area is, is much less... Um, well, I've done it for less time than you have. Let me put it that way. I've only been doing this for about six, seven, eight years now. I'm curious in the work you've done, uh, if you have any advice for me and the audience for how you get people involved in this type of an effort. How would you recommend engaging folks, not only in what you're doing, but how, how should I go about doing that as well? I, just, well, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot there. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. I think these are really important questions. You know, what motivates us to action? And how do we decide what it's important to act on? And for me, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by my love of nature and, and also by the people in my life, and especially the younger generation. I, I really want to make sure that the young people in my life have a good life. And... I feel a sense of universal responsibility, you know, this idea that just like in nature, like we are all connected as people. So I think that, you know, as individuals, if each person follows their conscience and is careful to get the facts that they need to make a responsible decision, past usually clarifies itself. Those of us who are consumers should look for products that don't jeopardize our health or the health of the people that make them, the health of people in the future or of the natural world. And those of us who sell them or manufacture them should think in the same way. If we did this in life in general, attempt to live without harming others, and even better, if we would live in a way to help others and then make this, you know, a daily practice, kind of a mindfulness, you know. I think many of our problems would be solved for us. So I think, you know, for inspiration and motivation, and all of us do need it from time to time, well, we need only look to those we love, 
or remember our heroes and our own, you know, people who are our own spiritual guides. And, and then every person can be a force for good, you know, a force for doing what's right. And together that adds up to a lot of, of um, work in the right direction. So I'm, I can't really give you, you know, a very technical answer for your audience. I'm sure you have an audience of people who have the technical expertise to solve these problems, but I can give you this sort of ecologist answer <laughs> to the question. Now, I, I think what I'm taking away from your comments is that it changes dependent on each and every one of us doing something, uh, be it be it medium, small, or large, small, medium, or large, um, it really takes every one of us, and particularly on a global basis, from the from the planet point of view, uh, as you point out, it, it, minor changes make major have a major effect, and consequently, it really is all of us working together uh, for our own safety. And uh, I hate to pull the show title in here, but the reality is that we all have to work together if we're going to have a safe and, and long life. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's also a very satisfying way to live. Yes. You know, there's, there's payback in doing what we know to be right and helping where we can and, you know, making the decisions that sit well with our conscience. And so I think that there's a lot of satisfaction from knowing we did something to help. Very, very true. Well, Linda, I want to thank you very much for taking some of your precious time today and uh, sharing, sharing that with us here on People to People, working together for your safety. Um, we're at that point in the show where I need to acknowledge our, our uh sponsors and our folks who actually make the show possible. Um, so I'd like to thank you again very much for being on the show and perhaps uh, call on you again to um, expand a little more in the future. Thanks, Dan. You're very welcome. Okay. As I thank Linda for her time, I want to uh, also share that People to People Working Together for Your Safety is dedicated to bringing people together to share knowledge and create a safer environment for us all. As you've listened today, uh, we've expanded that a little bit beyond the, the standard work that we've been doing in hazardous substance and counterfeiting. And we've actually had the opportunity, with the help of Linda here, to talk about uh, our Earth, the environment, the air pollution, and the things that you and I can do to uh, try and start changing the effects. Uh, I know there's a lot going on today, but there's still a lot more work to do. If you have any questions, agree or disagree with the information we are send, uh, sharing, send me an email with your comments or questions. You can send that to Stan at stansalot.com. You can also find me on Twitter, uh, Stan Salot Jr. That's at Stan Salot Jr. Also Facebook and LinkedIn. Our sponsors, which uh, we, we rely on to have this show every week, 
Business and Quality Process Management, LLC. They provide business process and quality management consulting, training, and software tools. You can find them at bqpm.com. That's www.bqpm.com. Secure Components. Uh, Secure Components, LLC, is an independent distributor specializing in obsolete and hard-to-find components. Uh, the first company to achieve an international certification for their uh, counterfeit uh, dedication uh, detection, rather counterfeit detection and mitigation. You can find them at www.securecomponents.com. Show couldn't be done and isn't possible without our good friends and folks at Voice America. Our General Manager, Brandy Jackson, Voice America's executive producer, and a gentleman I uh, spend a lot of time listening and learning from, Robert Cellino, uh, pr- Production Manager, Randy Jackman, Director of Host Services, Jeffrey Gilst, and Marketing and Social Media Manager, Brooke Ida. Our people-to-people, um, from people-to-people, rather, our Production manager, Yulia Koch from Coach Branding, and as I said, people-to-people uh, production manager. As I sign off today, I'd like to once again thank you for joining me on People-to-People, working together for your safety. Remember, change only happens when people come together and work together. Your help in the fight against the proliferation of hazardous substance and counterfeiting of consumer products could save a life. Until next week, I'm your host, Stan Salat, wishing you a safe and healthy life. Thank you for listening. Please join host Stan Salat for next week's edition of People to People, working together for your safety. We'll have another show next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a safe toxic and counterfeit free week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Wealth Generators empowers your personal freedom with a simple, repeatable program for success. Our stock market 